Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi guys, this is Ted from Fantasy Football Scout, and you're listening to TED Talks FPL. If you prefer to watch live, I stream over on YouTube every Monday. So head over there and search for Fantasy Football Scout. Thanks for listening. What's going on, FPL managers? Welcome to another video and podcast from Fantasy Football Scout. My name is Ted, and you are watching and listening to TED Talks FPL. You might have noticed that I'm by myself today. The reason is I'm going to be talking through my transfer process for the season. And I think I have got a bit lost in previous seasons about getting caught up on what my strategy is. So I'm trying to come up with some guidelines to help myself out, but it also might help out some uh, new managers to the game who haven't played too many seasons. So hopefully it will guide you all. Uh, If you want to follow it, you might completely disagree and that's perfectly fine too but let's get straight into it and I've, I've come up with a little little table here that that shows my thought process and the main reason for doing this is that I feel in the last few seasons that I've definitely fallen foul of tinkering too much coming up with the perfect combination of transfers uh, with 0.0 left in the bank it might might involve a hit or two hits or whatever and I go that's such a tasty move I'm very tempted to do it and it's just probably not that optimal but I feel like I'm sort of uh, stretching the boundaries and and making um, and forcing it a little bit too much so the guidelines I'm setting up here are First of all, first and foremost, look at your team every week at the start of each game week and go, what are the issues in my team? And resolve them first before you start going, I want this player because he's just scored a brace this game week. I want him. I'm, I'm fearing missing out on that player, you know, getting that new shiny toy at Christmas when the one that you have already in your team, you know, your player in your team is probably you know, absolutely sufficient and he's probably going to do well next week anyway. So I've got the little guidelines here, the the column on the left, look for the issues in the team. Uh, The first of all, the most obvious ones, and hopefully I'm not teaching all of you to suck eggs here, but the first of all is injuries and suspensions, the most obvious ones. You're going to be looking to transfer them out as um, quickly as possible. And then the other ones are, but maybe slightly less obvious, if the player isn't doing as you expected, low underlying stats, not even creating that many chances for him or his teammates, that's a, a red flag for sure. He's he's not even doing the underlying work to try and get on the score sheet or 
get assists. So that's a warning, warning red flag. Uh, and of course, poor upcoming fixtures, tracking who you have in your team and whether there's just about to be a poor fixture run for this player. Uh, that's definitely something to focus on um, and plan ahead to see if you want to get that player out. Um, and even less obvious, we've got sustainable underperformance here. And that basically means that the player is underperforming versus what is expected of him at the moment. Um, you know, he's got some good underlying stats, but he's not converting. And he's also proven in prior seasons that he tends to do this. So the examples I can bring up are like Adama Traore at the, I think it was the start of last season, I think it was. Um, you know, he was, he looked absolutely fantastic, but couldn't hit a barn door, couldn't convert. And he has proven in previous seasons that he had, has, he's, he does struggle converting. The same with how Cancelo, uh, Jao Cancelo, I should say, and his, um, his shooting. The most um, shots in that City team last season, but he only scored one goal. That's proven underperformance. Um, obviously, Jao Cantelo is amazing at getting assists and clean sheets. So don't don't let me put you off Jao Cantelo. It's only his shooting that he's proven that he's an underperformance. It doesn't mean you have to transfer this guy out. But if this player, his main source of points is goals, that sustainable underperformance, we think that's going to continue in the coming weeks. And that's something that maybe you should think about transferring him out. And conversely, you've got unsustainable overperformance, a player that's doing way beyond what the, the XG or the XA, the expected goals, expected assists are suggesting, um, converting like really long shots, unlikely to be replicated in the future. And he hasn't proven to be, you know, a Son or a Messi in terms of converting over and above XG in his previous seasons, that that performance is likely to come down and be offset. And therefore, you can uh, say that that is, although it might be difficult to transfer a player out, that is uh, scoring goals, but it is certainly the next level bit of analysis. You could go get ahead of the crowd and go, I'm going to transfer this player out before he starts underperforming. Uh, and the last one here is is limiting formation, a limiting formation, an inflexible formation. And a lot of people this season have started big at the back, including myself. And we'll look at my team in a minute. But we've seen in game week one, there are tons of forwards out there that people might be excited to get on board and bring few in. If you've got five at the back, you haven't got many spots to uh, to fill those forward lines up. So you t- you're making multiple transfers to to get to these forwards. So this, you could say that maybe a 5-3-2 is a limiting formation. Something to think about, can you enable some more flexibility uh, by making these transfers? So I'm going to look at my team um, and apply maybe some of those um, thought processes to what I've got here. And for the for the purposes of the podcast listeners, we've got Ramsdale in goal, Robertson, Alexander-Arnold, James from Chelsea, and then Diaz and Cancelo from City. And then in midfield, we've got Salah, Martinelli and Bailey. And then up front, we've got Jesus and Haaland, captain against Bournemouth. And so what we're we're doing here is looking at what are the weak points? What are the weak points? And for me, there's one glaring one, and it's it's Leon Bailey. Um, He wasn't too um, apparent in in that Villa game. I didn't watch it. I only saw the match of the day highlights. And Villa were just so bad that 
the highlights didn't really focus on Villa. I didn't really see Bailey play the game. So from my perspective, he was he seemed to be a bit of an uh, anonymous. His stats weren't too bad. Um, but the going back to the process that I was just going through, you know, stats aren't amazing, but also Villa's fixtures after Everton at home get tricky. They've got Palace, West Ham, and then I think it's like Arsenal, Liverpool City, something like that. So Bailey is definitely on the chopping block. Um, I've got 0.5 in the bank to upgrade him to maybe a 5.5 if that is a legitimate move. But then I've also got to think about maybe this is a limiting formation. Can I change this formation to enable me to get some forwards if they have proven or they continue to prove that they are viable options more so than big at the back? Because my prior um, my prior plan my previous plan at the start of the season before game week one was to move Diaz down to a Perisic. Um, if that continues, then it does limit me to get the forwards in the future. So Bailey seems to be the weak point here. And I would advise you go, go and do it with your team, see what the weak points are. And maybe that's the guy that you're looking to transfer out. Now we can start thinking about who to transfer in. So go back to the process. The other thing to mention is check for caveats before you settle on transferring this player out because there are a few caveats when you when you bring in a player in fpl it's normally for a good reason um you know you, they think you think they've got potential um you know they probably had decent preseason. leon bailey did for example but has this player had enough time in your fpl team to prove himself to you that he you know, could get points in the future. You know, FPL was one of those games where you need enough time for these assets to prove themselves. And only the big guns, only Salah um, and maybe Kane and Son, De Bruyne maybe, um, in their purple patches, get a return every week. Everyone else, it's every other week, you know, more or less. So we've only had one game week. It's a very small sample size. Bailey's only been in my, my team for one week. That's not enough time really to um, think about transferring out. But we're early in the season. Maybe some special expectations. So, um, maybe some, um, you know, special measures need to be um, in place. But further on in the season, this is definitely applicable. How much info do we have? Um, again, not much. It's, it's, it's all about collecting that data. How much time has that, has that player been on the pitch? Do we have sufficient amount of stats to really assess his ability? And then are there other factors at play? Uh, this is in general, you know, have have the matches for this team, have they been red cards, have limited the player's appeal? Have they lost, you know, 8-0 or something because of those? Has the manager experimented with a different formation? Has this player played in a different position that he's used to? Is that going to revert? All of these sort of caveats, you know, this player might not be worth transferring out just just because you're drawing the wrong conclusions. Maybe there's a caveat at play here. Um, so we're going to go to the third column here, and this is the transfer priority for thinking about the players to transfer in. And in my opinion, the, the biggest priority is definitely to have one of the best captains this week. And that is if you don't have him already, or you have one already, focus your transfer on on bringing that player in. A lot of people might have started with Harry Kane or Son Heung-min. Um, Kane was fairly absent, or I think Kane owners can be count themselves pretty unlucky um, having put four four goals, Spurs putting four goals past, past Saints. 
Um, I think the move from Kane to, to Haaland is a pretty obvious one because Haaland seems to be the the guy with the best fixture and he's he's in form already. Let's have a look at the fixtures um, up here. We've got City down at the bottom here. We've got game week two at home to Bournemouth. What a prime fixture that is. Oh, no, Bournemouth did get a result at the weekend, but still, uh, I think it was against a pretty lacklustre Aston Villa side. So uh, I expect City to certainly put a few past Bournemouth. And uh, you compare the fixtures for the other candidates. Liverpool playing Palace at home. Palace are, you know, arguably one of the top defences. So maybe they don't put a few past Palace. Chelsea and Spurs are playing each other and Arsenal playing Leicester. Not 100% sure what will happen there. That uncertainty is enough basically to drive to everyone captaining Haaland or even De Bruyne uh, this week against Bournemouth. So if you haven't got Haaland, I would definitely prioritise bringing him in. Otherwise, uh, go for Salah against Palace uh, because, of course, limiting formations, if you don't have that 11.5 forward spot, then it can handicap you somewhat. Um, so the next one is uh, players with a big increase in XG or underlying stats and conversion stats, i.e. their um, underlying stats have suddenly really improved compared to the prior period, and they're also scoring goals, proving that there's no underperformance going on or anything. They're, they're perfect candidates for your team. Their, their underlying stats are backed up by goals and assists, and this per, this this player is, um, you know, in a is causing a bandwagon um he might be good value, that sort of thing. So we can look at what's happened in game week one. Are, are there any uh, bandwagons going on? Um, so I've got a graph here of shots versus chances created. And this is just for game week one. Again, massive caveat. Everything is small sample size at the moment. Um, so the player that with the most shots and the most chances created, Madison top right. But um, in the bubbles, we've got the non-penalty xg on the top and below we've got the expected assists xa madison because he tends to shoot quite far out his xg is normally quite low and um his expected assists is also quite low if you compare that to the likes of harland who had five shots this week uh with a non-penalty xg of 0.9 um you you can tell that the the average shot that harland has was significantly more likely to go in of course he scored two goals um but the thing, main thing to notice here is that the forwards really have done well. Your Nunez, um, Mitrovic, Callum Wilson, all getting on the score sheet. A score sheet. Bamford getting an assist, um, and Tony also getting on the score sheet as well. So we've got this array of forwards who are saying, "Pick me for your FPL side." Um, of course, Salah. He was pretty underwhelming against Fulham, although he did get a goal and assist. Um, there's there's plenty of other options here. I, I thought the City game was quite interesting that obviously they're they're set up to to feed that ball into Haaland. I think he's going to mop up most of the time. Grealish and Foden with quite a few chances created. Same with De Bruyne. Not many shots from Grealish and Foden, which is evidence that they kind of just want to assist the main number nine, Haaland. So yeah, uh, definitely a good captain choice for Bournemouth. Um, Sterling's an interesting one. Is he worth 10 million? Arguably not. Chelsea looked a tiny bit lacklustre. Uh, Mason Mount isn't even on this graph. He doesn't even get into the top 30 players for shots and chances created. So interesting one. I wonder whether people will move on from uh, Chelsea players. Kulisevsky was a, a really 
the standout player in that Spurs game, uh, creating a lot of chances and his expected assists was was pretty high. Um, so yeah, definitely interesting one. Eight million. If you've got that midfield spot at eight million. Um, it will be very interesting to see whether you move on to a City player for Bournemouth. But this is going back to my guidelines. If you have a good player in Kulisevsky, are you forcing it a little bit by going for a City mid that have that hasn't necessarily, in, in Grealish and Foden I'm talking about, um, that hasn't really proven that they deserve a spot in your side are there fires in your team that you need to put out before you can make this sort of luxury transfer um definitely have a think about that um so yes i I think uh we will go back to the process from that and um i'm talking about I, i normally would look at a momentum chart for that second second group down that the big increase in xg and conversion but obviously i don't have anything to compare it to we've only had one game week so looking at the players with who have had the most the best underlying stats is um was sufficient there um but the third one down and the fourth we'll couple those together we've got players with good fixtures that's fairly obvious isn't it but in particular work out who the weakest defenses are and then see how many of the teams that you are targeting are playing these really weak defences and maybe prioritise the ones that play a weak defence more often than not. So I working out a, um, a weak defence here. Oh, before I should say, if you're enjoying the content, please make sure to subscribe to the channel and give the video a like. Um, yeah, helps with our growth as a channel and uh, yeah, a lot of work goes into these videos. So I really appreciate the support, guys. Anyway, um, back to this whole thing about targeting weak defences. Yes, we've only had one game week. So how do we work out who the weakest defences are? And the massive caveat here is the small sample size. We've got Fulham and West Ham here at the top who have conceded the most big chances. But lo and behold, those were the the two teams that played against Liverpool and City this week. So I'm not sure it would be very fair to say that these guys are are weak defences. Although Fulham coming into the season probably would have been bracketed in that bucket. Um, we've got Forest here on the right hand side with the most small chances conceded. Those are um, That's not good in any sense. And I think from, from my perspective, Forest looked the least impressive out of the 20 teams playing at the weekend. So I would definitely bracket Forest as one of those weak defences. Man United looked typically shaky, which is a shame. Sorry, United fans are definitely going to back it, bracket them into the um, the worst six uh, defences. Hopefully that changes. Um, but I'm, I'm going to add them to the list. Leeds conceded 1.8 XG to, to Wolves. Um, I thought under Jesse Marsh, Leeds would have tightened it up at the back, but it seems like they're playing in a sort of uh, typically gung-ho fashion and maybe they are um, giving chances in their usual way that they used to do under Bielsa so Leeds are definitely up there in terms of worst defence and Southampton yes it might be quite difficult quite harsh to say um, that they're one of the worst defences but having just played Spurs but I think I'm even tipping Southampton for relegation this season so uh, and I'm going to put Bournemouth in there as well for obvious reasons, but although it is a little bit confusing, they did get a result at the weekend. Um, so I, I would say the, the worst six defences at the moment 
with this limited sample size are Forest, Saints, Leeds, Bournemouth, uh, Man United, and I would probably just about put Fulham in there. Um, it's between Fulham and Wolves. but um, And then the top six, I would just go for City, Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal, Spurs and Palace, who were very good last season. So those, if we separate those groups of six together and have the eight teams in the middle, we can have a look at the attack and this is how those teams did in terms of an attacking sense. Their XG is across the bottom here with Man City on the right-hand side. Uh, and number of goals all the way to the top there. Spurs with the only team scoring four goals. And we've got that dotted line in the middle just plotting um, the the line of best fit um, from 0-0 zero, zero to what is that, 2.5, 2.5. Uh, any, any team above that line is technically overperforming any team below that line is technically underperforming again i'm just going to continue to caveat it's uh, a small sample size but the uh the interesting thing here inside the bubbles we've got the team's next six opponents above the name we've got their opponent number of opponents who are classed as a top six defence. That's the City, Liverpool, Chelsea, etc. So Spurs at the top there, they're playing two of those teams in the next six. And under their name, they've got how many times they're playing a worst, the bottom six defence, you know, the the Bournemouths, the Forests, the Man United, sorry, United fans. How many times are these guys playing one of those teams? So Tottenham, you can see pretty even distribution, two tough teams, two easy teams and and two medium teams. But you can see maybe the likes of Arsenal and Brentford here. Brentford are playing four bottom six defences in the next six games. Does Tony become a priority? Likewise, Arsenal. Jesus was, um, he looked really good. He didn't, his stats weren't actually that good, but he was lively. Uh, I don't think anyone should be jumping ship on Jesus just yet. They're playing three of the bottom six defences in the next six games. Good fixtures for Arsenal. Likewise, um, sorry, not likewise, conversely, uh, Mitrovic got two goals against Liverpool, but his fixtures are still tough. Fulham play three of the top six defences in, the ne- in their next six games. Um, obviously, Liverpool are classed as one of those. So if Mitro- Mitrovic can do it against Liverpool, maybe he can do it against the others. But a betting man probably wouldn't say that that uh, would be replicated. Um so interesting one. Um, if you were looking for upside here and this was sufficient amount of data, you could say uh, Chelsea underperforming, Wolves underperforming. They've got three bottom six defences to target in the next six game weeks. But this is also why, uh, and just going back to the process, I've gone back to this chart in a minute. Um, this bottom bullet point here in the third column, it says unsustainable underperformance target teams and players that are underperforming but don't usually underperform which means that they might overperform in the next few weeks gaining more goals the caveat is that they need to have good xg to do this so let's go back to this attacking chart you can see chelsea and wolves here um, underperforming it's typically very useful to have a look at their underperformance or overperformance in the last few seasons so let's bring up Chelsea and let's bring up Wolves so the little tables on the right hand side let's start with Wolves so Wolves are currently underperforming in game week one so 
This is what I would be doing if we had sufficient amount of data. Typically six game weeks, I would say I'm comfortable with. But Wolves, their overall difference to their XG, the amount of goals that they've scored compared to what they, has been expected, has always been under an underperformance. They always score fewer goals that's what, than what's expected of them. So last year, their delta was a minus 4.54. And every other year, going back to 2018-19, was an underperformance. So targeting a team like Wolves to say, right, they're underperforming at the moment, but they might overperform in the next few weeks, isn't justified. Because you know that they're a team that typically underperforms. Whereas Chelsea, on the other hand, are underperforming at the moment. But you can see in their history that they have shown seasons where they overperform and therefore they might be a better team to do that. The The seasons 2020, 2021, 2019, 2020, where Timo Werner and other players that maybe were underperformers have definitely skewed that underperformance for Chelsea in those years. I would say the year before and the most year, most recent year are more typical representations of a, of a good Chelsea team with good players. Um, sorry, Timo Werner. Um, so if you were looking for a punt, for example, have a look at Chelsea. I know they're playing Spurs next, but maybe the subsequent game week. Have a look at Chelsea players. Are they still underperforming? Do they? Does it warrant them underperforming? You could get ahead of the curve when people might be jumping ship and um, get, a, get a player like Mason Mount or Raheem Sterling that you know is a good player. And you know that they can get in the goals. I mean, conversely, we've got Spurs up here. They're overperforming at the moment. In previous seasons, you can see in that top right table, um, all four of the previous seasons, they have massively overperformed. Maybe last year was a slight red herring, but they have players like Son and Kane who are typically expert finishers. And that's what the this XG Delta demonstrates and what you can say is that Tottenham aren't probably going to start sinking down they're probably capable of keeping that overperformance up so uh interesting ones there um let's go back to the process and these are those are those are the many ways you can target players you can identify um different players to target obviously i'm not talking about the main one which is watching football and seeing who seems lively i mean we haven't even talked about aronson who whose stats are terrible this week but we saw that he got chalked up a goal because um bamford's cross basically came to him and it seemed like he got the goal but it turned out it was an own goal that doesn't go down as a positive benefit for aronson but keeping an eye on that player specifically for my benefit where i've got 5.5 million to spend on a on a player i need to also watch the games to be able to apply that context to some of the numbers i'm going through this is this is very technical stuff and it might not be your cup of tea at all but having that all-round context applying what you see on the pitch with what the numbers remind you because you, i can't remember everything that's gone on during um during match of the day uh, i'm sure not sure many of you can either so the numbers help us remind us uh what what's ha- what's happened what's gone on and um enable our decision making so let's go to the fundamentals here resolve issues first then look for upside resolve the issues in your team before you start looking at these shiny players Mitrovic and um, 
you know, I think Mitrovic is different to Haaland because he's not a prime captaincy option this week. But, you know, Mitrovic also has difficult fixtures. So people bringing in Mitrovic straight away and not maybe addressing the issues in their team might be, might be a bad option. So the sensible option is always to address the problems in your team. If you can't afford the transfer, that's in terms of money or in terms of number of free transfers, then just roll it. You don't have to force your team. Allow your team to have sufficient amount of time to prove themselves that they can get goals and assists. And if they don't, then they're first on the chopping block next week. Uh, Next one is only take hits if there are multiple issues in your team or the upside is worth it. For example, the most of the time that the only upside is worth it is when you're transferring in a captain, in a player that you're going to captain double points, that hit might get cancelled out easily. Um, The other caveat is that if you're transferring in a player for a stretch of games, six to eight game weeks, that will give him time to earn those points back for you. If you're doing short term moves with hits, it's unlikely to play to pay off and um Unless you get really lucky, of course, and that's, you know, that's perfectly fine. But if you're talking about sensible moves, don't make too many hits and only do it if you think the upside is worth it. Or indeed, if you've got lots of fires to fight in your team. And yeah, housekeeping. Wait until the press conference. Wait until the press conferences to make your moves unless you've got exact money in the bank to make your combination of moves and then it's basically a calculation of risk versus reward Um, and that is based on your risk appetite but basically we want as much information as we can about these players because someone that you're looking to transfer out because of low underlying stats or poor upcoming fixtures might get superseded by someone who is uh, counted out of the game through an injury or less likely a suspension that we don't know about. So it's all about how much info do you have. And I'm going to talk about my decision now. I've got Bailey. I'm not that happy with him, but I'm going to give him Everton at home. And I've got this last chart that I'm going to look at, which is basically a team of five point, well, not a team, a a chart of 5.5 midfielders. Are there any that stand out here that I can go right? I'm going to get rid of Bailey and immediately go for this player. I'm going to go through the guidelines. Have I given this player enough time? He's only had one game week, so probably not. But is there anyone else that stood out that that's 5.5 million or less? I mean, Gross scored a couple of goals with a with really decent stats. Is he going to do that every week? I'm not 100% sure. Neto and Podens, decent stats against a really dodgy defence. Leeds, um, are they going to do it every week? Wolves have got good fixtures, it has to be said. So, you know, Neto and Podence could definitely be the ones that that we end up going for as 5.5 million replacements. Um, but Bailey equally, you know, his stats weren't too bad. 0.3 expected assists, uh, one chance created, one shot. Uh, it's not it's not great. It's not rubbish for one game. Um but the likes of Aronson, we might be overlooking him. His stats are terrible, he only had one shot in that game. But like I said earlier, the context is the positions that he took up uh, were excellent and Leeds look like they're playing in a gung-ho fashion. So Aronson's definitely going to get amongst the points at some point. But I think the point I'm making here um, is that none of these players really force me into making a move. And 
with the process I've, I've just set up. I haven't given enough time to the player that I've invested in from game week one. He had a good preseason, Bailey. So I think I've got to give him more time. Have a look to see uh, who's the problem in your team, whether you want to give him more time or whether you want to make that move straight away. But it's always worth considering all of these factors uh, before you make your decision. Um, so let's refresh my team. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be rolling the transfer this week. Um, keeping big at the back. I think everyone is playing at home, which is pretty tasty. Um, but it also gives me two free transfers in game week three. And like I've said, there are a lot of forward options. I, I'd have two free transfers to try and work out how maybe to get another forward spot um, and, and get rid of Bailey at the same time. Maybe that would take three transfers. But in terms of enabling that, I could definitely do something in game week three. That remains to be seen. Still, early days, I thought I'd transfer, I thought I'd um, disclose my process for the season. I want some guidelines to follow. I'm not going to be making rash moves, these, these, you know, paradise transfers that just look so good on paper, but probably aren't optimal. So that's going to try and rein myself in. I've had a good start to the season. Let's try and kick on from here. And yeah, fingers crossed. Um, Thank you all for sticking with this. Hopefully you um, enjoyed it and it was um, useful to to a certain extent. I'm going to be trying to following these guidelines every single week and use these charts to try and enable my thought process for who the who the player I want to transfer out and who's the player I want to transfer in. Uh, And hopefully maybe you guys will have a similar decision and you'll get some some use out of that too but yes um one last time if you have enjoyed the video please remember to press that subscribe button and give the video a like uh much appreciated everyone and um yes best of luck for game week two and enjoy this the uh the week of uh fpl content on fantasy football scout okay see you guys